Welcome to the CKTH podcast. I'm John Vincent Campbell, and today's installment is with Mr. David Haynes. David is a visual artist. He's originally from Toronto, Canada, and he now lives in Berlin over in Germany. His work ranges from drawing, painting, photography, sculpture, and as a continued student of both the classic antiquities as well as modern technology, David brings a unique perspective and mindfulness into his daily approach to both art making as well as living with gratitude. Much love and big respect to David for taking time away from prepping for his upcoming show with Richie Culver at Rome's White Noise Gallery. The show is called Fate and Fortune, and there's a lot to unpack in this podcast. So enjoy. David, how's it going? Good, good. Yeah, good. Uh, just uh, settling back in into my place and uh, just been arranging the studio, getting ready to start working again. Fantastic. Um, so where in the world are you now? In Berlin, I assume. I'm in Berlin, Germany. Yes. And uh, hold on, I can change my name so that it's a bit more. Because, yeah. David of Berlin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in Berlin. Uh, I'm based in Berlin, but I was in uh, Canada for the last 10 weeks um, visiting family who I hadn't seen in a long time. And, uh, and I did a small residency there and, um, and preparing work for, I'm doing a show in Rome in a few weeks and then I'm doing another show in New York in the fall. So I started working on all these kind of new ideas I was developing over the past year or so. And, um, and they've been kind of like flourishing and I, and I, this residency that I kind of like allowed that to really like flourish. Um, and I went way up North in Canada and I was, it was quite cold and isolated, but, uh, it was great space to work in. Are you at liberty to touch on some of those those ideas at all, or leave them still in the garage stealth mode? Yeah, so uh, it's all oil painting, and it's it's all oil painting. It's all very like colorful, and um, which is very different from my work uh, in in some ways. I think if you're familiar with my work, uh, you can see that there is um, quite a lot of over overarchingness in what I'm doing now or what I'm going to be doing as well uh, in contrast, maybe to what I was doing last year or the year before that, et cetera. Uh, and uh, the work is, um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of like, I, I'm kind of like tapping into something in the inner child on some level. So there's this kind of like juvenileness to um, the approach of the, uh, the work. Um, but I'm kind of, uh, getting, I was really getting in touch with some of my core influences, especially like in minimalism, um, uh, these, like, I really was looking a lot at these early Donald Judd paintings and, um, I studied at the Kansas city art Institute, which is like where Robert Morris went. So it's kind of getting in touch with these more minimal forms, David Smith, 
and uh, um, and and really just getting more. I mean, I have a background in sculpture, so when I approach painting, I'm approaching it, I guess, from this material uh, perspective, and uh, and uh, so I'm working with scale as well as with color theory, and um, yeah, just getting really into the into the to the medium of oil, and then um, also working with more archetypal forms, archetypal themes. Uh, there's a lot of like reference to the tarot as well as to like platonic um, concepts and forms. Um, and, and so I'm really kind of digging into that, but through this very like uh, contact with the inner child. So there's something very like innocent about it, but also very playful, but also very like, uh, like I'm trying to make it as profound in like a profound way. If that, so we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. And the work for, uh, Italy is going to be, um, a large diptych, large diptych piece of like a kind of a broken sun and then a large, uh, very flat, um, kind of almost illustrative, but it's very painterly, uh, eagle, which is uh, kind of a blown up image from the Terre de Marseille. And then a number of like studies of um, color theory, but also light. And also I did a lot of like meditations on the moon. And so there's a lot of like natural science in there. That's where I'm getting at with like Platonism. Maybe, maybe I'm a bit more of like a Neoplatonist when I approach these things. So there's something kind of mystical slash like um, esoteric about it. But then that like there's kind of a spiritual engagement with the work. Um, and uh, so that's what I'm trying to do more. And this has been kind of ongoing for me the last few years of, of moving away from a digital practice, which is what I was kind of doing for a long time into a more traditional practice, but also kind of still getting in touch with maybe more of my roots and um, minimalism as well as like... Um, yeah, formalism and things like that. I, I, I want to say that uh, perhaps you've kind of uh, quickly featured some of these studies um, on your social as of late. Yeah, a little bit. I'm kind of like being very um, slow about it. I'm, I'm still just kind of, uh, and then also kind of also revealing more like uh, portraits and stuff like that of myself, which I really wasn't doing for most of my practice. So it's always kind of like um, detaching myself uh, from what I was sharing, especially online. Um, but I feel like that's changing. I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm kind of allowing um, my, um, yeah, my identity or my persona to take more of a position in the work um, as well as my practice, I guess. How does that feel? Um, it's uh, it's definitely like a different feeling. It's not something I'm not totally unfamiliar with. I've done, I've always been very into writing. I've always been into journaling and uh, always been into kind of something more on a sensitive, a more personal level. And sometimes I'm um, doing some posts that are more kind of like a journal or a blog. And so, yeah, doing things where I'm like kind of showing myself in the studio or doing some artist portraits, they feel like they're kind of in line with some of that uh, stuff I've done in the past. Um, 
so it doesn't feel too weird, but, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still getting used to it. I, I'm still, um, being, I'm, I'm still kind of getting over some resistance, I suppose. Hmm. A little bit of like a Alfred Hitchcock of sorts. Yeah. Maybe something like that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you shout out the residency in, uh, Canada? Well, it was a private residency. They're still building their official uh, building yeah. through a collector of mine there. So they cool. don't have an official name yet, but um, but uh, they wanted they invited me up uh, because I was there, and I, and I had to prepare for the show, and uh, and uh, uh, I stayed longer because for for personal reasons, but also COVID at the time was kind of. Um, it was really uncertain what was going on at that time. Oh, pardon. And uh, so I decided to stay and then I just went up north and started working. So kind of worked, worked out. Um, so I was like working in uh, like a collector of mine's like car garage. But wow. it, was, it was a great space, actually. It was pretty great. Um, and yeah, just really close to nature. And yeah, really getting the light and really, I started, I was studying the light every single day. Um, I had like sketchbook full of just, um, color studies and palette studies from the light and, um, yeah. And just waking up every day and painting every single day. So that was just that little bit of living the dream, so to speak. No doubt. No doubt. Um, and, and when you're doing it, sort of light and color study, uh, as you were, um, are you finding that you are waking up at like actually a very programmed yet different time of the day every day, or are you trying to kind of make it more structured than that? Or like, how does that work? Right. Um, well, um, I I have a pretty regimented, uh, daily routine Hmm. and, um, from, from a spiritual practice of my, you know, uh, from, from the way that I practice and live my daily life, um, involves me waking up quite early and being more engaged with daylight. So, um, you know, when the sun goes down, um, I'm getting more ready for the evening and going to bed. And when I like to be up as the sun goes up. So, more kind of a natural way of living, so to speak. Um, yeah. Acting in accordance with nature on some level. And so, um, yeah, I was really studying, especially morning light and evening light and, um, and also how, uh, the light was engaging with nature there, especially because it was very snowy. So, uh, there's a lot of reflection and, um, changes to the light through the forest and through the snow and everything like that. And, um, so I was really like just observing that and not really questioning things. I I was really trying to do away with all my background and like conceptual art, conceptual thinking, trying to disengage with overthinking what I'm doing and just, um, be less, uh, it's again, it's like being less present, but, being more of like the agent in which the work is being created through rather than, um, being so, um, 
controlling ahead of time of how uh, the ideas are being developed. And I guess, so for me, that's why studies still work really well because um, I can I can be more quick with it. I can, I can be more uh, engaged with what's happening right there and then. And it's not just photography. It's not just with my phone or with a camera, um, which I think uh, is... My issue with photography now is like, if I take the picture, I feel done with it. And when I'm doing studies with a pen, with the pencil or charcoal or with a crayon or something like that, um, it's, it feels like it's in a process to something or it's becoming its own um, article uh, in which I can refer to later. It has its own um, like aura for lack of a better word. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, that's fascinating as well because, you know, like you said, this there's this delicate balance. Maybe, maybe I don't know. You didn't exactly say this, but I, what I took away from that was you're kind of navigating this balance between uh, being present enough to kind of shut the door on some of your more trained um, tendencies or you know, you, you trained yourself for all these years to sort of think a certain way and then, you know, conduct yourself in a certain way. Um, and then you're kind of saying, hey, no, I need to sort of almost be present enough to not do that so that you can then usher in uh, a different point of view. Yeah, I think I'm trying to engage a little bit more with like uh, non-dualistic thinking. So right. it's not me versus what's um, out there, it's not me. It's not. Uh, it's not this, that, or the other. It's like I'm trying to be more, um, yeah, present. Like taking mindfulness into the practice of what I'm doing, and um, yeah, not overthinking things. Just being, being, and becoming simultaneously with the work. Um, and I guess, yeah, just like you said, it's about trying to be more present. Um, trying to use the tools at my disposal that um, allow me to um, act accordingly with what's happening around me presently and um, how to engage a little bit more with the present itself. Um, uh, you know, uh, the last year, I mean, you can see some of it. I was doing a lot of life studies. I was doing a lot of um, um, more traditional kind of art, which is very observing and seeing and looking. And um, this new work is not exactly that because I'm not doing representational, so to speak. It's more symbolic, I would say. But I would say that the color or the, the use of the medium, the, the engagement with especially the light, um, the, 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 envi the environmental kind of energetic um, atmosphere is much more present. And that, that was what I was trying to allow myself to uh to to be more fluid with that to be more um to be more engaged um really because i think i want to engage more with beauty and that, that's what it, that's where it really comes from is, is that desire to be uh alive and to me beauty has a lot to do with um um you know balance in life and um the choice to live and things like that Mm, I love that. The choice. To, um, I think that that, you know, not to take things down a crazy path, but obviously we're 
five whatever days into the the conflict happening in the Ukraine at the moment. And I think that that puts in stark relief everything that you're saying right now about living in the present, living in the moment, understanding how precious our balance uh, in that dynamic is. You seem like somebody, and on that note, I mean, you mentioned that you do have friends over there in the Ukraine. I mean, just to touch on that quickly. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been an unsettling return to Europe. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have a number of friends in Kiev who, uh, I'm really just trying to, uh, every day just check in on them, ask them, um, questions about, uh, things that maybe gave a smile through their day or some sort of kindness that happened in their day so that they, um, yeah, can find a bit of little gratitudes in, in kind of an atmosphere of, um, danger and, um, and, and fear. And, um, yeah, and on top, of course, um, you know, donating my energy and my, my, um, my energy, especially to, um, and resources to, um, you know, helping, helping the, the situation there as best I can. Um, no, for sure. There's a feeling of powerlessness that's uh, quite overwhelming when it, when it comes to, I think, uh, yeah, something like war, um, something in much way like the start of the pandemic, there was this really this great wave of, of powerlessness that I think a lot of um, people were feeling, I was feeling especially. And uh, yeah, you can see kind of the results of that too. And you're now wherever we are now in the pandemic, um, there's still this kind of residualness and what do people do when they're faced with um, such powerlessness? You know, there's different, there's different ways to deal with it. And um, anyway. No, that's what Yeah, I don't want to go to tonight a tangent, but. No, yeah. I, know that's a, I know there's a theme in your work as well. Pardon? I know that powerlessness is a theme in your work and it's actually something that I'm, uh, interested in touching on, um, you know, as we get deeper into it, you were, you were speaking about the choice of life and little gratitudes and, um, kind of the, the, uh, the choice of beauty. Um, and you being that you, um, have, I, what I can only imagine is a pretty well, uh, versed, history and studying the classics, uh, especially I, I noticed that you, you mentioned something about Hellenism and that period. Uh, I've, 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 I've always been sort of fascinated about that. And uh, this morning, as it, as it would just kind of um, happen, I was like, you know, whatever, kind of like online and um, stumbled on the, onto the, the, the Roman kind of, or Greek, Greco-Roman kind of, uh, the discussion around the three graces, you know, and, 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 and what these three graces were, were intended to sort of represent, you know, not only for, for, for the gods, but, but for mankind. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I've been, I, I've been particularly fascinated in terms of just reading more about your studies and how it seems like you, have made a very conscious uh, effort to kind of 
integrate, it would seem, some real classical thinking into your approach to things as a whole. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, certainly. Certainly. I. I. Um, I would say, in the last years, um, there has been a, a a greater engagement with. Uh, um, yeah, thinking of the antiquities, um, which I think in many ways uh, was like a spiritual practice, or like it's a, it was a spiritual endeavor for um, those living in that time as well. And um, there was there was no like the the the, the cosmos was uh, quite embodied with um, with spiritual value. At that time, and that's something that's um, not really as—it's not as uh, ubiquitous today. I would say, like it, it, you can still—I think one can still engage with that. I think that these um, ideas, this way, this worldview, this way of engaging with the world, never dies. Um, it's only whether or not we choose to engage with it or not that. It, it becomes alive within us as well. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been more drawn to it for, for many reasons. Um, and, and I think like when it comes to maybe more of a, of a more, um, modern philosophical lineage, I'm kind of thinking of Kant or Schopenhauer, um, where, you know, art or culture is um, its purpose or its value is to, you know, in many ways keep us alive or um, to help us to engage with the world beyond its mundane, mundanity, so to speak. Um, it like revitalizes us and, um, and it does that in, in many different ways. And I guess the way I'm trying to engage with it is maybe a bit more with the poetics bit more of the um this you know the substance of tragedy so to speak but uh you know in triumph triumph and tragedy kind of both and and so when i think about uh the ancient world and 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 how does that take place in the here and now um you know i think there's different ways of engaging with that and um, some of them, I think, have to do with, yeah, worldview, um, you know, have to do with, uh, our relationship to, uh, free will versus fate or something like that. Um, I, I, I guess I follow pretty closely, like a stoic perspective on, on some things like a classic stoicism, not, uh, maybe what the word has been transmuted into in the modern age um yeah you got a lot of modern stoics out there these days it seems yeah yeah so and, and then i practice like a i have like a zen buddhist practice so which i feel there's a lot of crossover between antiquity philosophies and eastern um philosophies as well like if you go back far enough there is it's pretty shocking how much cross-pollination takes place. No, look, uh, I, 
I, I a thousand percent with you there. I, I, in college did a, did a fair amount of, um, courses in that, in that lane, just because the professors at my school were particularly, um, kind of respected for, for that subject matter. And so a lot of, a lot of people just sort of would gravitate towards, towards those classes, just because you're like, wow, like I'm going to learn about something that's obviously had a huge impact on the world, but I'm also going to learn it from somebody that's a, a renowned kind of person in their field for it. Right. And, and, um, the, the thing about, uh, the, that world, that time, that classic era, um, that I think constantly captivates me is the intersectional nature of it. <clears throat> um, because they, they didn't, they had a, they had a very healthy respect for the past and for learning and for self-leadership. And at the same time, they didn't, um, seem, and, and I mean, who are we to say, right? It's so long ago, but at the same time, it just seems like they weren't as maybe as hung up or as seduced by, uh, the vintage, the, the vintage kitsch didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. So if something was worth carrying forward in order to then intersect with something else, it immediately almost became a, an instant classic for them as well. Mm. And, yeah, it was actually a very multicultural world. Yeah. Um, and this kind of cross-pollination, so many cultures in, in the Hellenistic world, I think people don't realize how um, much crossovers between uh, Egyptian and Mesopotamian um, and the Far East as well as um, pagan traditions and things like that. They were happening all simultaneously. And then at the same time, like mathematics and um, uh, the philosophies were starting to really blossom at that time. Now, I don't want to totally like glorify that time because there were a lot of things that were uh, compared to maybe our values now don't really align, such as slavery. You know, that was pretty common back then. Sure, sure. Um, but um, but I think that what was lost in many ways was um, how looking at opposites, because I think back then um, things it was all about the interplay between opposites, like um, positive and negative were not just two things on a pole. They were things to be um, conversed with, like they were things to be. Um, seeing where they blend, where they don't blend. And, um, and I think that that, that kind of perspective on life, there's something very beautiful about that. And, um, and, um, I think that that maybe not as completely lost. I think now we live in a very pluralistic age where anything is possible. Like there's space, there's so many people in the world now, there's so much access to information and things happening simultaneously that any sort of uh, thought thought group can take place, like, and can flourish and can have followers and, um, you know, a culture of its own. Um, so that's something very unique about our time, I think, that there's not, it's not linear anymore. Um, but maybe on a more um, overarching level, I think that that the nuances of opposites interplaying 
has been on some level lost, I think. Um, I, I'm, I'm talking very abstractly now, but no, no, I'm not no, a philosopher, no. I'm, I'm just an artist, but... Uh, I'm right there with you, though. No, no, no. I, I think that there's a synthesis that does not happen as often today. Right. Um, maybe, it, maybe, it, maybe there's an attempt to make that happen in certain areas of entertainment, you know, be, just because they're always searching for a way to sort of spin up a new, a new kind of concept or dynamic or way to present an entertainer even. Um, but yeah, no, the, 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 our ability to synthesize different things definitely uh, seems to be one area where we need to kind of develop new muscles again, um, or just muscles again. Um, I want to, I want to bring up a, a quote that I found on your Instagram, um, uh, kind of that's it, it, adjacent to all, all this in, in the, um, within the idea of being intersectional and it, you actually use that word. Um, so, you know, you said that this particular work, it was a sculpture and you were saying that it's a culmination of 10 years of working on a practice that aims at finding an intersecting place or meeting ground between ready-made, handmade, and manufacturing processes in art, mm. which to me feels very sort of act one, act two, act three, in a sense, from a, mm. from a, time, from a timeline standpoint. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to piece together right now which when exactly work we're talking about, but... Uh... Yeah, I think that that has happened. That's been a big part of, I think, a process in my work sometimes is it's like, um, and I've always been very interested in hybridity. I think with uh, these, digi these digital paintings, that was always maybe my core interest in them. It wasn't not so much the subject matter. It wasn't so much um, their engagement with any sorts of trends in art it was really just like i was really looking to try to make something that wasn't quite sculpture wasn't quite painting wasn't quite photography um now in a way maybe that was like a weakness of the work it didn't uh it didn't strike a chord with anyone um but uh with some of those sculptural works it's kind of they kind of are these pastiche uh pieces um or collage they kind of called back to me in some ways, like uh, blogging on some level. It's like, oh, I'm going to take uh, this sort of topic I'm interested in, this sort of topic, and then mash them together in a one sort of stream of imagery. Um, and yeah, and I think I'm pretty sure I know what work you're talking about, but yeah, where on one level, it's just things that I found or things that I've collected maybe something I've actually made or it's something of something very uh, highly refined and then also some, uh, things that are uh, ordered to be made. So I want this thing to be made. This is the idea, make this for me. So something manufactured versus something found maybe on the streets or, uh, you know, something from the shop, um, like from the grocery store. And, um, you know, how, manuf how manufactured and how ready a world we live in. And yet at the same time, we're always trying to uh, manipulate it so that it, it feels more individual. And maybe that's where um, 
the sculpting takes place is the is the is the desire to try and individualize the the pieces of the puzzle, so to speak. And I, and I and I wasn't trying to be overly vague. I can tell you the name of the piece if you if you want. Okay. Okay. Oh God. Is it just another untitled though? Yeah. Untitled uh, in parentheses burnout. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this piece, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I um, very much appreciated um, was that within the medium that, you know, that you described in terms of putting this together, you, you, you list concrete first, then foam, uh, and then here's my favorite last two, gear, and then debris. Yeah, yeah. And it immediately brought to my mind because, um, and I and I and I've seen that you you've called out Rauschenberg and other things that you've done from an inspirational standpoint. I mean, I think I was uh, my first or second year in high school when my uh, my mother bought me a book about Rauschenberg, and I was like just pretty drawn to the this concept of the combine that, mm. that he put that he put together. And it and it seemed like something that was so sincere. Yet I loved it because there was obvious like humor in it. That that wasn't humor for the sake of humor, even. But it but it made you kind of um, I don't know. I, I was it, like I felt like there was this gravitational pull towards this unique kind of humor that I felt was very, really important in a, in a really rewarding sense as well. Mm. You know, so often today, I think that our sense of humor, especially in a, in a meme driven uh, communication <laughs> style that we all now have kind of fallen into, you know, it, 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 I don't know if it's always as, as rewarding as it, as it should be for everybody. And thrills. Um, yeah. So I wanted to first just kind of touch on that with you, because um, the idea of the combine was was. Clearly, something that was very inspirational to me, um, and I know that you've also, you know, you 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 call out um, another work of his, erased de Kooning, the the, the drawing uh, piece, you know, and um, I, I I just wanted to sort of ask, like, you know, who are some of your other inspirations, whether it be Rauschenberg or somebody today? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I love bringing up Rauschenberg. Um, yeah, again, I, I went to the Kansas City Art. At the time when I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Kansas City and study, you know, everybody was like, what the hell are you doing? Because everyone was like, go to Chicago, go to New York, go somewhere else. But I was like, no, I want to go to Kansas City. That's where Rauschenberg went. That's where Morris went. And uh, maybe the school isn't the same it used to be. Of course, the teachers are different. But again... I was going to the place. It's also like uh, where some of my family lineage uh, comes from. Cool. So I was kind of engaging with the past. So there's something about the past to me in the present. So there's some sort of time travel happening. And then also, um, yeah, trying to, 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 to spend time somewhere where someone who looked at the world in a way that has been very influential on me um, took time to live, um, but not in, you know, the same place that everybody else would go, so to speak. I don't know 
I don't know if it worked out or not, but um, it was it was one of the most productive times I had spent when I was when I spent a year there. That's and, always great. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, what I really love about Rauschenberg too is how he was thinking about the tabletop and this topography of looking at uh, information, looking at things at the time. I mean, at the time, media was more paper and paper-based, right? So it was more uh, magazines. I think magazines were only very fresh at the time, but, um, you know, the radio, the newspaper, books, and, uh, you know, television was slowly coming in. And um, so, yeah, when he was with this combines, uh, to me, it felt very like revolutionary to how one pieces together the world around them. Um, it, it has a very like stream of conscious aspect to it. And I, and I, I'm definitely very drawn to work that is really engaging with something on a more, um, uh, psychological level, like a internal trying to reflect, refract out in some level, the internal to external um yeah I'm, I'm never very good when people put me on the spot for like artists that they're into but maybe i can kind of quickly flash into some that i you know always I'm, i really an artist who i really love now is andrew vakua i don't know if you know andrew vakua just in terms of like contemporary works um but uh let's see yeah, Lee Krasner is someone I'm looking at a lot, always. Um, David Milne, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a Canadian painter. Uh, he's been very influential, I would say, on the work I was doing in the last year. Um, as well as, like, uh, uh, Seurat. Mm-hmm. really love Seurat. And... Um, yeah, and then all the like the dead white guys. I don't know. I can't. Sure. I can't. Sure. But yeah, like, but I would say maybe uh, someone who really uh, drew me into painting would be like Cezanne. And mm. the reason for that is not just the painting itself, but his way of living, which to me is a very spiritual way of living in terms of that it's a practice. Like painting is not. Painting is not just uh, a frivolous activity. It's, it's very ambitious. Um, you're going to fail, most likely. And um, it's a way of life. And if you can't do that, if you can't choose that, then what are you doing? And, it's like, I, and I've never been one to be a tourist in my, in my, um, in my art, if that makes sense. So... You know, it saved my life on many occasions, and it's always been what I wanted to. You know, I always, I don't know what else. Like, it was always there, and it was always happening. And it's like even if I tried to deny it, it would come in. So, um, and to me, with Suzanne, he really embodies that, I suppose, in from a modern art historical perspective. And uh, yeah, I really. I really uh, want to engage again with maybe what it means to be a person in the world, you know, to be human and how art is very human. And, um, and painting, I think, 
when engaged with as a daily practice um, has something very, very spiritual about it because you're really like what I was doing at the residency, you're, you're being present, you're engaging with uh, your life in that moment in time, which also embodies like the internal and external. So that's where there's that non-dualistic being becoming happening where maybe you're um, reflecting on, you know, memories and experiences, uh, thoughts and feelings, but then you're also in the world. And, um, so there's no kind of separation between the, uh, the observer and the, the actor, so to speak. Mm. Um, and that's something I want. I think that Suzanne was, was engaging with quite a bit and that, uh, really was very influential on art afterward. Within that, um, sort of, I guess, frame of mind, uh, and, and you, like you said, being a participant um, who is contributing and absorbing these and living, like really, truly living these places that you've been, you know, and you've, and you've, you've obviously spent a lot of time in the U.S., in Canada, and now in, in Europe. I mean, can you just sort of loosely describe just the the experience of living as a working artist in, in each of these places and perhaps other places, um, Kansas city or other Berlin or otherwise. Um, I suppose on a personal level, I think I've always been looking for, um, yeah, some sort of contact with the authentic and, uh, and also like some sort of, um, sense of belonging in place. And, um, I think that, I think that, uh, that desire maybe is never going to be fulfilled. Right. Um, and so whenever I've like lived somewhere or gone somewhere or make, and, and really, um, been somewhere I, I, I mean i've never been a very good uh tourist so to speak like I, I really suck at like going somewhere and doing a whole tour around like i've done all that i've done stuff like that back when i used to play in bands and stuff like that um but i always wanted to be i wanted to live somewhere and um so whenever i travel i'm like okay i'm gonna go here and then i'm and then i set up shop and then that's where I, like i live and exist and um yeah, if I reflect on, you know, all those experiences, it's, it's, it's funny how whenever I go to those places, I'm, I'm still, I'm still bringing along this, this life that I think I can leave behind. Mm-hmm. So it never, it never, the place where I am is not, uh, obliterating my way of what's what I bring with me. Um, and so in a way it's, it's interesting how place has its own, um, like being and as well as, you know, the, the cosmos in which you bring with you. So, right. 
you can think of this kind of Zen idea that each of us is our own universe. Um, the universe is you, you are the universe. Um, but then places are also um, full of ex- you know, experiences and universes. So wherever you go, all of a sudden you're a part of that one too. It's, it's like, um, like moving through different bodies of water but you're still in the water. Right, right, right. Like at what point do you go from the Indian Ocean to the... Yes, yeah. The the salt, yeah, when, what level is the salt more heavy than the other salt, but you're still in the water. So... Right. I, don't, I don't know if that answered your question at all. No, that's phenomenal. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> That's that's really interesting, especially you know, given some of the other things that that I think I find so intriguing about what you're doing and 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 the point of view that you have, you know, about you know, um, because when you think about it like that, it's like this constant, you know, like to bring it back to the water analogy of an ebb and a flow, um, like a tidal pattern, like you said, you know, there's a there's going to be an upwelling of colder water that displaces, you know, something that was previously once there and everything's in a, in a, in a state of flow, which is, which is, I think is always really interesting, especially when you bring in uh, something like Zen Buddhism, which, which uh, you know, anybody who's done some martial arts can understand a lot of the principles there are very, um, you know, side by side, uh, you know, and I think that once you then kind of, take that uh, existence, you know, as somebody who's living like that and you apply it to um, something very procedural like society, Mm. you know, um, society, the the more I study it, the more systematic it becomes Mm. nature and our world as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, you, you, you used a particular um, quote about the contemporary art system today about uh, with you were describing the grant system as, as wanting them to be less bloody monotonous. Right. Yeah. I think I was, uh, I think I was being cheeky. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, but I think that, that but you bring up a great point because if, if if we are always bringing these other places with us, and I'm like you, you know, if I if I go to and you know every single time that I've been to Tokyo, I always say, oh man, I'm gonna really experience. I I used to work a lot in Japan, and so every single time I would go to Japan, I'd be like, man, this is gonna be the time where I'm just gonna truly get lost in Tokyo here. And then next thing you know, you've like really only kind of gotten so far in one little pocket, whether it be Shibuya or wherever else, right? Because it's just so big and you have other things happening and you're bringing, like you said, you're bringing other things to the party and you're also absorbing new things and you're, you know, you're consciously trying to sort of, you know, find your way, I guess. Um, and with the, with the systems that are out there, um, in the world, especially I can easily see, like you said, the grant systems 
for art being monotonous. That, you know, these systems stand in the way of that experience, I think, producing really excellent things all the time. Mm. Um, you know, and, I, and that, that quote struck me because it, it, it resonated, I think, because, not, not to sound too, uh, too, too fluffy here, but um, William Blake has this uh, collection called Songs of Innocence and Experience. Hmm. I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's it's um, it's good. It's you know, it's one of the kind of Hall of Fame players in in the in the world of romantic poetry, I guess. And you uh, um, need to get in there. Yeah, and you know, just like bloody monotonous would, I think for sure describe the songs of experience. <laughs> and, you know, and like what you're working on right now, like you said about the color studies and tapping into your inner, inner child, mm. you know, those are the songs of innocence that I think are vi- vital mm. yes. to, to us being able to sort of surface and bubble up some things that are, that are, that are again, going to resonate on that perhaps more humorous level for us as humans, even if we're not aware of it at the time or whatever. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to get too deep either over here, but, but you took me there. So oh. there we are. Yeah I, think, uh, yeah. I think this engagement with the inner child. Um, yeah. It's very much like, who is it that hasn't, who is it that's, who is it that's shouting and not being heard? It's, this, it's kind of, so when I, when I sit in Zazen and there's this question that comes up of like, who or why am I me? Or like, who is it the one that's asking the question? Or like, who is it the one that's breathing? And so with the painting, it's like, who is the, the one that wants to paint? And so that's who's painting. It's not, it's not just me. It's, it's, it's the one who wants to paint. And so um, that's, who, that's just what I, uh, I, I know that sounds very vague and difficult to articulate completely, but it's, it's, it's what voice wants to be heard and if is that the voice that needs to be heard i don't know but um but it's the one that i will not deny so um yeah and i think uh that that's in some ways some of the subject matter i'm looking at again kind of looking out to the stars looking out to the the uh, the cosmos so to speak um which from an, from an antiquity perspective, the cosmos was simply the world itself. There was reality or existence, so to speak. So it wasn't just space out there. It was, it was this, you, me, everything. Everything's cosmos, right? Mm. So when I'm looking out to things like the moon or the stars or the sun, these are things that are off, like exist all over. When I look at the moon, I'm looking at the same moon you look at. So there's no difference between that and the moon I'm looking at. Um, maybe the particles in the air where I am have more CO2 level than the particles of air where you are or something like that. But otherwise, 
there's no difference between them. And that's something I'm trying to engage with more because that's part, again, it's getting into the voice that wants to be heard is the same, maybe the same voice um, in a lot of us. I don't know. Mm. Um, and it's the voice that, that I think is ultimately responsible for that quote unquote process of art making to where when the process is over, you oftentimes hear many people say, you know, who did that? Mm. Mm. You know, like, there it is. That's the outcome of my process. But who, what is that? Who did that? That, you know, and that it's a, it's a time capsule, you know? Yeah. And this is what I think frustrates me always, I suppose, with um, maybe with things about art, I suppose maybe this is the thing that frustrates me is that whatever people see, that's what they see. There's nothing they're not seeing all that it came to. And I suppose that's why I, I am interested in uh, process oriented work. Uh, maybe some of the, like that sculpture, for instance, very, it's very like it holds within it all that was used to make it too. So there's something like it doesn't deny its lineage or like its history, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, and I, I, I suppose. Yeah, and I, it feels like a important um, voice to engage with. Maybe not. Maybe not in a um, in a contemporary way, but maybe in a spiritual way. Mm. Um, because I, I, I don't know if whenever I try to engage with things that are more contemporary, um, there, there isn't a, it's, it's like trying to to believe that my thoughts are defining me. It's like trying to, and I have a hard time with that. Maybe that's something that's, um, you know, part of my own deficiency. Um, Maybe that's something that disconnects me from reality. And, um, yeah, maybe that's something I'm trying to engage with as well in the work is, is that um, no matter how aware or unaware I am, um, there's always going to be pluses and minuses in all those areas. It's like I'm always going to be, uh, you know, like the D&D character or something that existed and got rolled the dice and um, something, some of my attributes are higher and some of them are lower. And, um, you know, can look at those as privileges or inadequacies or however you want to look at them, but um, they're going to, you know, connect me or disconnect me for certain things. So how can I connect on a, as, a, on as much of an overarching level as possible? And I think that's why I really want to engage more with something spiritual, something that is human, mm. something that uh, maybe especially in like you you were touching on a bit like in a capitalist society, 
we can just cash in on anything that's trending at the time. We can make a movie about it, make a show about it, whatever people think is like relevant and needs to be said, or that will make somebody money. It doesn't matter. Like that's legitimized now in the age we live in. Um, but then what's, what's deeper than that? And, and what kind of, even if it's cringeworthy, even if it's, um, something that's, uh, too, uh, cheesy or something like that. Like, even if it's a cliche, um, it's still going to have value to it because it touches, it touches somewhere, um, that we can't deny. Even if we kill every part of ourselves possible, even if we become, uh, even if we engage with that, which was in all of us, the capacity for evil completely, there's something, the conscience within us is still there. And, um, you know, that's never going to go away, even if we smash it and nuke it or put it to war or whatever. I know. I, I, I love what you're saying because I, I've, I've often said um, that I think everybody has a tuning fork. You know, I just think that we all have a tuning fork and I think that that fork is, is unique to each of us to an extent. But it also, of course, kind of rolls up to a greater frequency somewhere that that we can feel. You, you know, not to sound too much like Malcolm Gladwell's thin slicing right. uh, thing, but we can feel it. We know it. We see it. You know. Um, yeah, and, feelings unite us, actually. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, and 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 I say this. Part of the question here for or for the end, um, because I just was I've never seen anybody put together kind of this survey about feeling powerless. Mm. Um which is so interesting because never before in society has humankind had a glowing rectangle in their hand that could produce an answer. Yeah. as long as fast as your thumbs could type in the right question right so everybody knows kind of everything experience and innocence both go kind of out the window because yeah. our experience as as, as as humans versus the machine end quote yeah. where where does that land you know there's a certain powerlessness there as it relates to speed accuracy knowledge I mean, fact checking is a whole nother one, I guess, but that's mm. for another podcast. Great for dealing with parents. Yeah. <laughs> or like that family member who is always right, right? Yeah. Fact checking is great for that. Fact checking is great for that. Or saving yourself from, I guess, fake, fake news or whatever. But you know, right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and from my uh, past life, um, I was in an industry with, uh, you know, I would say some strong personalities and, um, you know, with every, with every strong personality, there becomes a certain amount of belief uh, in what they're doing and saying. And yet at the same time, getting back to our comment here about the tuning fork, you know, you can pick up on someone puffing some hot air pretty, pretty quickly these days, you know, and, um, you know, with your, with your magic rectangle, 
cell phone in your hand or not. Um, and I think that that's also kind of a, uh, maybe I'm answering part of your survey here in terms of where, where my comment on powerlessness can be, because you want to believe in the possibility to re-educate or to better inform whatever the right way to describe it might be. Um, and, um, and yet perhaps we don't think in that linear way enough. I don't, I don't know if linear, like we were saying about the classics, if, if they, you know, discovered something that they didn't know previously, it, it, it perhaps could radically shift, you know, Oh no, 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 no. This is, this is how, actually how it, how it is that we, we didn't know this prior, but now we know it. Um, versus today where, you know, you could, you could present someone with the right answer to something. And because there's so much information out there, they refuse to accept that that could be the answer. Um, and, you know, I guess I was also curious, you know, not to, uh, not to rip off your work here, David, but has anybody ever asked you the same survey questions in a uh, lightning lightning round <laughs> kind of uh, format, just mm. just to sort of touch on them because I'm I was so fascinated about this. Ask yourself over what exactly am I powerless? And I was this is the first question, obviously, from your survey. And the first thing I think that came to mind for me was this idea of the Earth and climate change, right? And I'm like sitting there, and I'm like man, if there's a common enemy that we have amongst many, right, that's got to be near the, near the top of the list. And, um, and then, you, you know, you said, make a list. I'm um, obviously we're, we're, you know, we're, we're counting them to you here, but make a list of the life altering and influential experiences you've had in your life. You know, and, and, and for me, I, I guess you could say that it was playing sports, and sports or art making for me, both maybe other activities in your life, you know, but they both represent this moment or moments that are just, they're over just like that. Mm -hmm. And there's such power in those moments and then they're gone. Um, Write two pieces on each of those experiences, long or short. We'll skip that one. Um, think about what powerlessness means to you personally, and then reread the writing. Good education practice, for sure. Mm. And then were you ever powerless in any of those experiences and how? And then the last one, thinking about powerlessness, write a searching and fearless response about your experiences. You know, and... And David, I, 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 I'm very curious, um, firstly, how the survey is going. And second, um, how often you kind of peel back the pages for yourself and, uh, and, and readdress maybe some of these things. Um, because it's a, it's a very fascinating slice, I guess, of, of, of how you're approaching what you're doing, one, and two, um, uh, 
in a sense, an outline of perhaps without sounding grandiose here, you know, the, the modern human experience. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that synthesis. And thank you for sharing that with me. Um, um, to be honest, uh, I think that because I mean, I, uh, I, I did the, the text, that text, the survey, so to speak, um, in late in combination with, uh, this exhibition I did in, in Italy mm -hmm. and, uh, the gallery gave me permission to do whatever I wanted for this text. And I kind of used it as, a, a, an outreach piece. Because at the time that was, I think it was just, uh, it was still the same year of the first year, I think it's 2020. So it was still the pandemic, quite fresh in people's um, experience. And uh, I wanted to offer a tool that um, has been very helpful for me to, uh, yeah, to engage with situations or circumstance or experience that, um is overwhelming and that produces, yeah, a sense of powerlessness and also to try and re-engage with um, powerlessness, not just as a um, negative thing, that it's, it's like a teaching, it, it teaches, we're, te we're getting taught through um, everything that happens. And uh, so thank you for, uh, you know, doing a crash course in it, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Nobody else really did it, actually. I think I think it takes a lot of courage to engage with these things. So, um, well done. No, thank uh, you. I, I mean, it's as a as a teaching tool. As I researched about what I think that your, like I said, approach might be, um, it was it was really rewarding because I felt like I was receiving. I was the one receiving the education. Um, so I, I should be the one thanking you for putting it out there like that. Yeah, but I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, it was just about people engaging with themselves. And if they learned something, actually, they taught themselves, they did it for themselves. And maybe people did it and they didn't tell me about it and they didn't send me anything about it. And that's okay. Um, that I didn't do it. I didn't offer it to anyone as uh, something to make their lives more difficult. It was, it was like to be a gift. So it's the opposite. Uh, yeah. It's the opposite. I didn't have, I released expectation. Um, so no qualms about that. Um, how often do I do? I mean, I suppose every day because for me, powerlessness is uh, like, I, I really have no power. I mean, I can, I can choose to do things. I mean, of course I have power in the world. I have um, the ability to do things and not do things. And um, I can make things worse. I can make things really worse if I want to. And, and uh, I try to live each day uh, trying to do the, to do the next right thing. Um, you know, but I occupy space in this world and, um, and, and, uh, and I think 
also being uh, in the Western world, being white, being being male, being um, um, you know someone who occupies space in that. That's there's there's uh, things that are being excluded from the world because of my inclusion in the world. So I'm not like deluded by that. Um, and so I think for me, powerlessness has a lot to do with people. Um, I have no power over anyone. Mm. I can, you know, of course I can engage with evil actions and force things onto others. Um, but at the end of the day, they still hold within them their, their, uh, them. And I will never have that ability to own that. So, you know, what people do, what people think, what people feel, what people, um, are, that is outside of my range of control. And also in many things in myself, like I'm not going to be able to control that I think and feel those are just going to keep happening. And I'm glad that they do. Thank God. Like, I'm really glad that they do. And I'm really glad that my stomach keeps working. My heart keeps pumping. Um, you know, all these things that, uh, I could, I could be like, I don't want you to do that anymore, but they're going to keep doing it. So thank God for that. And it's the same way I feel about the external world too. I can, I can huff and I can puff. I can make my life more miserable and those around me more miserable, but is it going to actualize exactly what I want? Doubtful, very doubtful. So um, why make things more miserable? I suppose that's what I meant by making that survey is like, don't, if, if I can, why make suffering greater? Mm. And not just for others, but for myself, maybe more importantly for myself. And uh, you know, I've never been very good at decision making. So that's one tool that I try to use to help me to make decisions is like, what's my motivation? Is it one that comes from love or is it one that comes from resentment? What, what am I actually, you know, in this, I don't know if you know the serenity prayer, you know, yeah. Yeah, wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, no wisdom to know the difference. That's maybe that's what that survey is about. Is what's the difference between you know things I can change and things I can't, and uh, and and then listen to your conscience in that. I don't know. <laughs> that makes oh, sense. I, and then I, 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 I yeah, I guess that's what I try to engage more with my art. And uh, I'm not sure if it comes out or not, but that is what I'm trying to engage more with. And that's what I mean by beauty, I suppose, is, is that balance, the peace, the, in the traditional, this I took antiquity perspective, you know, the goddess Athena or Aphrodite, um, the balance, the peace, the, um, the weighing of opposites, the, um, the abject and the, and, and the aesthetic. Where do the you know and to be in line with those the mundane and the the, the divine, um, and those kind of crossovers and is it you know and to accept failure and to not 
get too attached to any outcomes from that. And uh, yeah, I think that's where, that's where I kind of have found myself in my work where I think what is kind of known most about my work is, is something more technical, something more kind of, um, I don't know, technology engaged, um, which I don't think has necessarily died for me. Maybe that's actually what led me to where I am now. It's like that, uh, there's, um, questions that are not being answered. And, um, and, and maybe that's part of being human is that, you know, it's not up to me to have answers for everything. It's, it's just about engaging with things that I believe in. Mm. That's really great. That's really, that's really fascinating and very inspiring. I was going to ask you as a follow on, if you just could provide a simple recommendation that you find that works for you in your regimen somehow. But I think that what you just said is at least one recommendation that everybody, that I certainly, I, you know, can apply to what I'm going to do for the rest of my day today or the rest of my week <sighs> or whatever is to engage in things that I believe in. Um, because we don't, I, I mean, I, I, you know, not to, not to get into the, into the teachings here of the, of the Buddha, but you know, samsara and suffering. And like you said, you can always make it worse. Um, but you don't necessarily need to do that. If you're instead more actively engaged in things that you are just more drawn to, um, things that you believe in. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I think that um, we all wake up every day and um, that's not going to change. Well, look, I'm so appreciative of you taking the time uh, to connect here and review, you know, these kinds of questions. Um, I learned a ton just from our conversation just now and uh, um, can't thank you enough, you know, for the work that you're doing, uh, you know, and the uh, intention that you put obviously behind not only the work and the outcome, but the approach to it and the process. So thank you, John. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for, uh, holding space for this. It's really generous of you. And, um, yeah, I, I'm really, it's really great to meet fans and people who want to like reach out and stuff. It's, uh, it's part, it's you, you are as much keeping it going as I am. So thank you. And, uh, yeah, I really, I'm really excited also to uh, share more of the new work 
Um, there's going to be an exhibition opening on March 19th uh, at, at White Noise Gallery in Rome. It's a duo show with uh, Richie Culver and myself. Him and I collaborate and um, are quite close, uh, but uh, also very different practices. So it's going to be interesting. And uh, the the show is on uh, the title of the show is Fate and Fortune. And um, so it, we're really trying. We're both engaging from our own works with those kind of concepts and how uh, yeah, it feels very press prevalent for our times. Maybe always it always is going to, but maybe people can touch in with that even more, especially from the pandemic now, war, you know, all the things that have happened, even in recent history, um, you know, and how each of those things leads to something else. Each of us have our own personal um, uh, fortunes and losses of that take have taken place, and um, and then doing it in a city like Rome, which you know is where uh you know the roman empire was uh situated and and how much of um that ancient world like they kind of carry forward like they were the 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 most of the hellenistic period was taking place during the roman empire and how much of uh that time um you know feels very now too uh in many ways so things never die They, they just keep going in cycles. And I think that's uh, just like what you were saying, the ebbs and the flows, like just like the way the moon gets full and empty. It's just like uh, the tides come in, they come out uh, just like we wake up every day. There the, are the cycles that are going to take place um, regardless if we're conscious of them or not. And I think that's what this show is kind of getting on at some levels. I'm going kind of on a tangent, but yeah, with our work coming together, and I think it's going to be really, it's very exciting. We're all very excited about the show. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go down to Rome. I don't know if you've ever been, but absolutely beautiful place. And um, just been excited how much work in that context too. So I, I, it's been a while since I've been to Rome. I've, I've been, for, I was fortunate enough to uh, live in Italy for a time when I was in college. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm half Italian. My, my, my mother's mother. So my mother's first generation, my, my, my mother's mother is from a, a city called body on the East coast. Um, okay. and, uh, couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, I, I think that people, you know, wax poetic about Rome for a lot of really genuine reasons. And, um, it's a magical place. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like when I like Athens or even like Tokyo or, uh, there's, there's only one Rome and until like, it's one of those places you, I, I highly encourage people if they have a chance to go, they should just, just to go. Cause there's no place like Rome in the world, really. It's, it's, a, it's a special place. Well, I mean, and you know, uh, I'm absolutely, you know, fascinated to, to just continue the dialogue at some point in time, not only about this upcoming show, uh, by the way, where where in Rome is White Noise? Uh, is it? Uh, it's it's on the same side of the Tiber as the Forum. I can't remember the exact neighborhood, what it's called, but it's it's not too far walking distance from the Capitoline Hill, uh, Hill or um, the Forum. It's not okay. so far. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, what a fascinating and awesome show. I, I have a great amount of respect and, and, and appreciation for uh, the, the work that Richie Culver does as well, um, as well as the sense of humor that he puts out there on a regular basis. Yeah, um, yeah he's, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's on it. He's, he's, he doesn't um, hold back the voice, you know, so to speak. No, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, sounds like a brilliant show and would obviously be thrilled and honored to have you back, so to speak, to talk about some of this kind of stuff a second time. Absolutely. Yeah. Pleasure. Pleasure to be mine. All right. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, day out there in uh, Berlin and um, all the best. And let's talk soon. Take care.